This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. A recent study at Arizona Christian University revealed that nearly 9 in 10 American adults hold to a mixture of worldviews, which we refer to as syncretism, and only a small percentage have a biblical worldview. 6% of American adults were found to have a dominantly biblical worldview. You also might recall polling from a few years ago that showed even fewer millennials and youth as part of Generation Z are thought to have a biblical worldview. So clearly we have a lot of work to do in repairing the ruins, both by sharing the gospel and also by defending the faith that's been once for all delivered to the saints. How do we best do that? We're going to get some thoughts on it today from Stephen Garofalo, who is founder of Reason for Truth and author of the book we'll be discussing. It's called Equipped, Basic Training in Apologetics for Evangelism. So good to have you with us, Stephen. Thank you so much for being here. Janet, thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Well, thank you. You know, given some of these statistics, what are your thoughts on how prepared young Christians are to live for Christ and defend the faith in a world like ours? And also these statistics that we've seen about biblical worldview, it's really kind of a crisis situation. You know, it really is. Uh, you know, I'm a graduate of Southern Evangelical Seminary, studied under Dr. Norman Geisler, and, and I remember doing a talk at the National uh, Conference for Christian Apologetics some years ago, and it was called Reclaiming Culture for Christ, yeah. Using Apologetic and Evangelism. And I soon discovered uh, that that's where my heart lie. Uh, and it was interesting because I, I walked in and I confessed to my, you know, my fellow apologist, yeah, I was almost embarrassed. This is the least apologetic-y talk I've ever given. <laughs> and, and, and the response was packed room, radio. I mean, I didn't even seek it. People were wanting to interview me on this or how do we, and what it turned out to be was we're, we're kind of now in post-op. Uh, we are currently uh, now going back to a generation quite often raised in the church who have walked away from the church. The good news, the way that I see it, Janet, is this way. Um, it, you know, you have the atheist, well, was the atheist ever raised or reared in a Christian home? We have a huge population that grew up in the church and have some semblance or some, you know, uh, foundation of Bible teaching. And so what I'm finding is that reclaiming the culture for Christ is often going back to and, and then overcoming obstacles about negative things they have in the faith, right, that, or things they, long, they, they learn incorrectly, and then kind of having to appeal to this generation that is emotionally driven. Mm. That's the tough part. I mean, if you were going to do this 50, 100, you know, 50, 60 years ago, you would be dealing with rational thought. Today, you have to start with emotion. Yes. You almost do to grab the youth 
and then you then give them truth. It's interesting. It's interesting and and sometimes exasperating because you would like to, and I, I can tell this by reading through your book, you would like to be able to lay out the propositions and the facts and the evidence and be able to have discourse on that level. But you're right. Increasingly in this age of social media, it's feelings, feelings, feelings all the time. How do you go about going to somebody like that who's feelings driven and begin to challenge them a little bit on the issue of worldview? Yeah, I taught uh, the first real experience I had with this was teaching apologetics at calvarychurch.com, Calvary, uh, Dr. John Monroe here in Charlotte, it's my church. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I worked with uh, high school students for three and a half years, and so we, I was doing a mock-up debate on um, some of the more controversial issues and, uh, and with the pastor. And uh, so I got to play one side of the table, and he played the opposite side of the table. And, and it was interesting because he said, hey, I won. And one of the students came up to me and says, you know, Mr. Garofalo, or Garofalo, you, you, you really did win. But I found the whole exercise to be exacerbating, as you said, because, because they'll throw out things like, I don't care, I don't believe the Bible, so what? And what I've learned over the years is to pause, stop, and then go to chapter one, what I do in chapter one. I went back to some old sales training that I got years ago, which is the first thing you do is you stop, listen to the person, find out who they were where they come from. Today's sharing your faith today with people is a whole nother game. There's a good chance they've either been abused, they've suffered something, and you got to have to connect with that. They, maybe they came from another country. Maybe they're a Muslim. Um, and I've talked to one Muslim, and he says, I said, what are you? And uh, it was me, a Jewish guy, a Muslim guy, a Catholic and a Protestant. We're all sitting around at one o'clock in the morning after a party at a friend's house before my kids were born. And, and, we're, and, and I said, well, what are you? And he says, I'm nothing. If I go to Iran, I have to be a Muslim. If I come to America, I can be whatever I want, and I choose to be nothing. Wow. Interesting. It's so, but the bottom line is getting to know people are in understanding their worldview, which is chapter one in the book. You can't talk about the existence of God until you understand where somebody's come from. It's just the way it is. I think that's a normal human trait, and if you look at how Jesus did it, he always knew his audience, yes. and I think that's the starting point. Well, it is. You do tell a story in Chapter 1 about this Muslim who came to your home with a Bowie knife, and you assumed he was a particular sort. It wasn't. I think you said it wasn't not long after the uh, terrorist attack, uh, and, and that was an important lesson, it seems, because he turned out to be a Christian. So that was kind of interesting, an interesting twist. It really was, and I was a, a bit uh, first taken back, then a little bit embarrassed, and then I was so joyful because I'm thinking, wow, this guy had, he, he was so confident in his faith in Christ that he shows up, you know, and I'm out in the country a little bit, you know, on, on some acreage, a couple acres, and, and you know, he comes to, to my house with a, with his giant Bowie knife, and I'm like, wow. But yeah, the, so the point is that what I learned through him was we have, we all come to the table where presuppositional, you know, kind of thoughts, we, yeah. we, we prejudge people. And sometimes, to be honest with you, you have to do that. But you don't want a complete closed book. You want to, you want, you know, for your protection, right? right. You want to have one eye open, one eye closed. But, it, but in that case, how wonderful! I gave him a copy of my book on all roads don't lead to heaven. Just to bless him, and and he blessed me. But uh, there's been other times, Janet, where it's not been the case, and you see, you know, more devout Muslims that, or in other people who would try to twist you 
into a pretzel. Yeah. And then you've got to then shift into debate mode and a little bit more. It's a different game. You have to know your audience. Oh, yeah. I, I've been there. I know exactly what you're talking about there. What, when you define the three major worldviews, you define them as pantheism, atheism, the, and theism. How important is it to understand somebody's worldview? As you said, it is important to understand that before sharing the gospel. But how do you approach each differently? For example, if you run into somebody who believes God is in everything, kind of this pantheistic worldview, where would you start in beginning to share the gospel with that person at an angle that will be effective or by God's grace would be effective? Yes. So the key there is when you're dealing with pantheism, and I, and I, so I learned, first time I learned this was teaching at the Institute of Biblical Studies at SES, and a guy came up to me, I did a whole hour, hour, no, hour and a half, two hours on Hinduism, laid it all out, and, and, and this gentleman in the back, he was an older gentleman, it's different than, in, in, when you're talking to youth, it's different than talking with the older, you know, generation. But he said to me, he said, uh, he said uh, Steve, you just haven't answered one question, which is, uh, who, may, you know, who God is? <laughs> so wow. He said to me, yeah, and, and I said, well, and I understood his question. His question was really, I'm a theist. And I can't really get my hands around this, uh, you know, my, my mind around this whole idea of pantheism, because we're used to, we're, our start point with worldview is one theistic God. And we believe in one what and three who's, the Father, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You go to talk to a Jew or a Jewish person, and what, you're dealing there with one what, no three who's. You're dealing with a Muslim, they're also theistic, they're monotheistic, just similar to a Jewish person, just one God, right? Yeah. But if you're dealing with a Hindu, you're dealing with 330 million gods, and if they don't like those 330 million gods, they can, um, you know, they can create one more, always add one to it. Wow, that's weird. I, I know but, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's more complicated when you're talking to a Hindu about theism than if you're talking to, for instance, somebody who's Jewish. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and let me just add one quick thing to answer your original question. Sorry about that. But no problem. So if, you, if you're dealing with a Jewish person, your start point's different, even a Muslim. Because you, you, your start point is you don't have to prove that there's a single theistic God. There's only three theistic religions. There's, there's in order, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Yeah. And so that's what you're dealing with. And so uh, you know, from there, it's a great start point. And then, but... I find it to be most difficult to share your faith with a, with a, with a Jewish person. Yes. And well, we'll come back to that. We've got to pause for a very quick break. Equipped is the name of the book. Stephen Garofalo with us, and we'll be back on Janet Meffer today. Janet Meffer today is proud to partner with Preborn to help save babies' lives. Hi, this is Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, and I want to send a big thank you for standing for life to you. Because of listeners like you in 2020, Preborn sponsored over 45,000 free ultrasound sessions to women in need, saved over 31,000 babies, and prayed with over 6,500 women to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord. The battle rages on in 2021 at an even greater level. And our goal is to give Planned Parenthood the biggest competition ever. 
Will you join us in saving babies' lives? Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Meffer today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. One ultrasound is just $28, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMafford.com. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. You can get involved and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Let's do more than talk about abortion. Let's save some lives. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. If you've ever wanted to do apologetics better or to begin to do apologetics, if you've not ever engaged in apologetics, you're going to love listening to what Stephen Garofalo has to say. Equipped is the name of the book, Basic Training in Apologetics for Evangelism. Stephen, you were saying before we went to the break uh, that obviously when we're talking about the monotheistic religions, there are only three. You have Judaism, you have Christianity, you have Islam. And you talked about the difficulty sometimes in witnessing to Jews. What is the experience that you've had along those lines? Yeah, and, and there's three theistic religions, I'm sorry, and then there's the monotheism would be Islam and, and Judaism, and then you then theism, which allows for the Trinity. But the, the, the issue with the Jewish people is, which I find fascinating, and, and yeah, I grew up with a lot of Jewish people, um, at least friends of the family, and, and I love them. They're very t- they're close to the Italian culture, which I'm Italian, and, you know, it's very... Our, our cultures and traditions are very similar. But the, what I learned, especially from Dr. Barry Leventhal, who's a Messianic Jew professor at Southern Evangelical Seminary, so, you know, we, we really, so the Jews assume certain things about the Christians, and Christians assume things about the Jews. We're assuming that they're, for the most part, they're waiting for the Messiah when they're not. Hmm. They believe, for the most part, and I've asked a lot of Jewish people this, uh, do you, are you waiting for the Messiah, or do you think that, and, and the answer really is, if they, they believe that if the person of the Messiah or this office of Messiah exists, it, it exists in the good works and good deeds of the Jewish people as a whole. Hmm. Notice how when there's a, a, a marchathon, when there's a fundraiser, Levine Hospital in Charlotte, march for, for cancer, breast cancer, whatever it is, help, you know, St. Andrew, whatever, even that, they're involved with that because they are more, very similar to works-oriented. And so they're not really waiting for Jesus to return, probably about 80% or not, at least in the United States. And the United States has uh, the highest concentration of Jewish people outside of Israel. Right. And 80% of those live in New York City. Yes. Well, that's interesting. So when you're up against talking to somebody who says, yes, I'm Jewish, but I don't believe that there's any Messiah that I'm waiting for, do you take them back to those original passages in the Old Testament, or how do you deal with that? I do, 
And what's interesting is more times than not, they will often, and a lot of the Jewish people that I know, they keep, Janet, they keep the traditions to a T. <laughs> right. You know, they follow all the, tradi- the holidays, and then they'll tell me right to my face, I just don't believe it. Wow. So, in other words, if they don't believe the, and, and we don't use the word Old Testament when sharing Christ with, you know, you'll say the, you'll say the, you'll say the, uh, you know, you can say the Torah, or you could say the, the ancient manuscripts, or the Jewish manuscripts, something like that, mm-hmm. is the better terminology. If you use the New Testament, it's automatic Christianese. Mm-hmm. But, um, but having said that, they're lovely people, you can talk with them. I think it's like anything else, though. You've got to develop a relationship with them, and the Jewish people are very hospitable, and their the culture of just in generally speaking now Americanized is maybe a little bit different, but you know to have meals with them to have them in your house to get to know them, and then you like anything else it takes time and I think I think that's where we're at today is pre evangelism with the use of apologetics has to be something of patience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Get, good point. And, you know. Yeah. Well, now, when you talk about the importance of using apologetics in conversational evangelism, give us an example of how you would handle, for example, the issue of someone believing all roads lead to heaven. This is a very popular idea. There's no such thing as an exclusive gospel in many people's minds. As long as you're sincere in your faith, you'll be fine. How would you have a conversation with somebody? You're out to dinner with somebody and they start saying, yeah, I think all roads lead to heaven. I don't think it matters what religion you practice. How do you take that bait and begin that conversation in a way that you can end with sharing the gospel with that person? Yeah, yeah this is perhaps the most uh, important, I would say one of the most important chapters in the book, besides why do bad things happen to good people. Right. As a matter of fact, I did a whole book by that title on it, and then I summarized it in this, in this in Equipped. What I do is the first thing you always do is you have to understand their worldview, and you have to understand something about where they came from. For example, um, I was working, I I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, and I was uh, working in a job just out of college, and I put this in, I think it was the All Roads book, I think, I put this story, but I'm talking with these uh, different gentlemen. One of the gentlemen was an extreme hard atheist what we would call a militant atheist. He was a, a computer scientist, and this guy just had it out to come after me <laughs> every day. And, 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 I, and I would kindly serve it back to him. You know, <laughs> because, and, and, and what was interesting, what I learned about that, by the way, and I put this, uh, I put this in my book, um, is that you always want to answer, remember First Peter 3.15, always be willing to give an answer for the hope that lies within you with gentleness or meekness and respect. Yes. Because he came after me, and I'm going to tell you, answer your question, and then I want to tell you about the girl from Barbados who was in the same building. So the guy came after me enough, and finally, because he was arguing um, uh, evolution, and finally he said to me, he goes, I want to know the exact year that dinosaurs roamed the earth. Because he's trying to trap me, right? <laughs> right. I, I, I like, like, I can't really give him an exact year in this hard... And so... Um, he kept asking me, and he started yelling at me, and all of a sudden, this big guy, long hair and a ponytail. Now, that was a little bit out of sorts in the 1980s, mm-hmm. was it? late 80s, early 90s. You know, that yeah. wasn't so. And, and so finally, he goes, this, he was this big guy. He was this gentle guy. But, and he finally gets him, and he goes, leave him alone. He told you he doesn't want to give you an answer. So the, the, the computer science guy, he goes away to his office. 
And I sit down with this guy. And I said, thanks. He goes, yeah. He says, that was just out of, that was out of bounds. And so I said, I said, what do you believe? He says, well, I, my parents did not want to teach me about what the truth is. They wanted me to discover what the truth is for myself. I said, what do you believe? He goes, I think that aliens dropped us here and planted us on Earth. And, 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 and I looked at him and said, awesome. I said, let's talk about aliens, and then let's talk about Jesus. There you go. Perfect. So there's your starting point. There, there's no such thing as a textbook thing. It's, it's wherever God places you, you know, it could be different. And, and, and so when I left that company, I got a phone call from a girl from Barbados. She had been the, the receptionist there because we, we had enough round tables around the lunch, trust me. <laughs> and, um, and she said, Steve, I want to thank you. My husband and I moved to Barbados, I moved to um, Greenbelt, Maryland, to work for NASA, federal agency, um, and we walked away from, from God, and we stopped going to church, and we stopped, really, we went a couple times, and, and I watched you, and I listened to you, and I watched you also to respond to people with love, but also stand strong for the truth, and she goes, it was so compelling, I want you to know my husband and I are back in church, hmm. we've recommitted our lives to Christ, and we're serving in our church. Wow. What a greatest compliment. And the whole thing is, I never debated with her. Wow. Janet, I never did. And, and that's one of the, 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 the hallmarks of when you're debating with a hardcore person, always be reminded that really you probably may not ever get to them. That's, it's the people that are all around them as well, if you're in a public forum, that are taking it in because they see it from the stands. So and when they see true. it from the stands they see it objectively. That is so true. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the joy in some respects of doing apologetics and evangelism is you really don't know who else is listening in. And you might not even know until heaven. That's something else that we need to consider. Yes, (laughs) That is great. Well, and now when you have people who are argumentative, this is always something that I think is valuable for people to understand. If you have somebody who's really mad and really upset, how do you know when to stop and walk away? And how do you tell them, hey, let's walk away, let's calm down, and then try to reignite the conversation later? How would you handle somebody who's just completely belligerent, uh, somebody who's not necessarily like the one you just described, but right. you know, you're sitting on an airplane, you're never going to see him again. But if it's somebody who's a friend and gets really mad, what do you do then? Yeah, that's a great, that's a really good question. And to be honest with you, I got the answer to that question from Dr. Richard Howe in my first class on world religions. And he, he drew a, he draw a picture on the chalkboard, and he said, you know, some of the greatest Bible scholars are not believers. And I'm like, what? <laughs> They're at the secular universities. He said, they know scriptures inside and out. That I take them out of context, right? But yes. they know them extremely well. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and for coming into seminary, you know, out of a strong, I went to McLean Bible Church for years, met my wife there, and I'm, and I'm walking out, and, I, and my head is kind of like, okay, I'm not really understanding you know, again, I'm the guy now in the back, right? I don't understand who God is. That's me now. And I'm, uh, I'm like, well, hold on a second. How is this? And so I, I waited. Everybody left, and I wouldn't leave. I was like the little boy who wouldn't let the professor leave till he gave me an answer. And he finally, he said, because he said, Steve, it's like a man or a person, and he drew a circle, and he drew a line going to the right, and he go draw, and a line going to the left with an arrow. He says, he says, it's like the believer and the non-believer, both equally versed in the scriptures. One's a believer, one's not. They're both running just as hard as they can, but in opposite directions. And I said, well, how do you deal with an unreasonable person? And he finally goes, you can't reason 
with an unreasonable person or a person acting unreasonable. And that freed me because when I see that, I, I pass it up to, I, I worked for the police department for a couple years uh, as a police aide in, in college. And my, uh, super, my supervisor said, um, he goes, it's called vicarious liability. <laughs> that's God's work, man. Yep. You know? <laughs> yep, that's right. At some point, and listen, I, 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 I passed the, the, the pearl, and at some point, and, and I've also learned one key thing is to stop, and, I, and I've gotten really good at this, uh, first was not, is to pray as you're talking to people. Ask for the words and ask the spirit to be present. And yes. it really, it really works. Yes. It really does. Yes. And without having much time to even say this, it reminds me of a situation I had in college where I was meeting regularly with a Mormon missionary and our last conversation hitched on the whole issue of false prophets. And I laid out why Joseph Smith was a false prophet. And he stormed off. I never saw him again. But I know that yeah. the Lord is still able to get him. It was never my job in the, in the beginning to be able to bring him to Jesus Christ just to share the good news. Well, you'll get Amen. a lot. Yeah, you'll get a lot more out of this book, a great book, Equipped, Basic Training and Apologetics for Evangelism by Stephen Garofalo, our guest. Steve, thank you so much for being here. It was great to have you. Thank you for having me. You bet. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, if you've been to the grocery store or the gas station lately, you've likely noticed how much the prices are going up. In fact, the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development recently said that consumer prices are rising across the world. And in April, the inflation levels in wealthy nations were at the highest level in 12 years. What can you do right now to stay ahead of the threats of inflation? We're going to get some advice now from Chuck Bentley, CEO of Crown Financial Ministries, the largest Christian financial ministry in the world. And his latest book is called Seven Grace Wands. Chuck, so good to have you with us. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Janet. Always an honor to be with you. Thank you for the good work that you're doing. Thank you. It's great to have you here. I, I am very anxious to talk to you about this because I'm hearing a lot of people discussing this issue of what is going on with the price of meat and gas and everything seems to be going up. How serious would you say the problem of inflation is right now, just broadly speaking? Well, broadly speaking, it is painful to everybody. It doesn't matter what level of the economy that you're participating in. Everything seems to be going up rapidly. If you're trying to buy a house, you're seeing the price of real estate uh, inflate dramatically. If you're trying to remodel your house, the price of lumber, it's been going up faster than Bitcoin. So uh, everybody is feeling the pinch. As you said in your introduction, groceries are on the rise. Price of cars are on the rise. We're all feeling it right now, Janet. 
Well, that's right. And some shortages, too. I know there have been some hacks. People were talking about this most recent hack on a meat plant in Australia, which uh, allegedly is going to affect us here in the United States. We've had all sorts of things going on. What, what do you think are the indicators in the economy causing this? In other words, what is going on in the economy that is making inflation happen the way we're seeing it happen? Well, we're seeing a perfect storm of an interruption of the supply chain. That's one thing. So when the supply chain is shut down, which it was during COVID, that creates scarcity of product, which drives the price up when those products are available. But we're also seeing the government response to COVID, where they're pumping, printing and pumping so much money into the system that it's causing inflation as well. So in many, I guess you could say this is a perfect storm. Uh, many factors have, have convened at the same time to cause this rapid rise in prices. Well, right. And and what about the whole issue of, you know, oil and gas and how we've seen oil, you know, pipelines shut down and things like that? I mean, certainly that's taking a toll as well. Well, absolutely. What's so paradoxical about what's happening in the energy industry is that the current administration is anti-fossil fuel. Yeah. Uh, they want to be more green, and yet by shutting down pipelines, they're increasing the price of fossil fuel. Gasoline at the pump is going up, and that stimulates exploration for more of it. So it's almost working against the administration's agenda, uh, because as the price rises, even though we pay more, that means more people go looking for oil and gas. Well, that's right. So you have done some good work. I know that you've answered some questions about inflation over the Christian Post. Can you help Christians kind of get a handle on this? How are we to handle inflation? And even if the prices continue to rise, what are some tips? What kind of plan is important to have? Well, first of all, is to be aware that it's happening. Uh, it's almost like the, the frog needs to know that the, the water temperature is uh, increasing, and that's definitely happening, <laughs> and you're helping people be aware of that. Secondly is to make a plan. One of the great hedges against inflation is to save more money. And it sounds counterintuitive right now because you think, well, if the value of money is decreasing, which is exactly what happens in inflation, why would I want to save more of it? Uh, the, the reality is is that some point, you're going to need more financial margin. Things are going to cost more. Emergencies are going to cost more. You're going to have to have more available cash on hand. So I'm recommending to people that they cut back on spending. If the government is sending you a a stimulus check, put it in savings. Store up more emergency savings so that you can ride out some of these storms. And then secondly, follow what the experts are doing. And that is if you have any kind of long-term investments, you need to rotate some of those funds into commodities or hard assets, mm. into the things that are actually rising right now. Uh, this, is a, this is a time when if you own something that is considered a hard asset, like real estate, that's going to increase in value. Uh, commodities like oil, like uh, gold, they're going to continue to increase during inflation. So you want to find a way to benefit from inflation And then secondly, or thirdly, when uh, interest rates begin to rise in order to try to control inflation, which I think they inevitably will, Mm -hmm. if you have cash, you can earn more money uh, by uh, buying CDs and and, uh, having available cash to earn 
a greater return than we've been getting when there was no inflation. But that's good advice. Now, what about those who have a 401k or a stock portfolio and also some bonds and some of the other things that you've talked about? How much do you reconfigure at a time like this? Because that often comes up with investors of all stripes saying, well, how much do I put into some of these commodities and so forth right now when the future is so uncertain? How do I determine how much of that to have? Well, I'm not a professional advisor, Janet, so I have to be careful not to uh, step in the place or in the shoes of those who are licensed professional advisors, but I can give a few principles. The the first principle is uh, move your money into an investment mechanism based upon the timeline for when you're going to need it. If you need it soon, then certainly don't tie it up in some sort of uh, instrument that's going to punish you if you have to take it out quickly. Uh, most people should have a long-term time horizon if they're going to move money, in, even into public securities, into the stock market. You need to give a company time to grow and, and a time to ride out the storms. But I would say right now, uh, I'm seeing experts advise somewhere between 25 and 30 percent of what I call a rotation into a different mix of your portfolio, whether it's a 401k or your IRAs or your or your more uh, long-term investments to look at changing anywhere from 25 to 30 percent of it in mm-hmm. order to take advantage of inflation. Well, that's good. Now, what about the purchase of some durable goods? How much should you stock up on things that you will definitely use? Because that's another thing that people often think when there's inflation, I should go out and stockpile certain things that I know I'm going to need. And if I sit around and wait for the price to go down, the price may actually go up. How do you, you know, decide how much of that to do? Well, I think we do that as a matter of being prudent. Uh, I think it's a great idea when my wife goes to the big box stores where you can buy in bulk. Uh, she looks at all the items that we use on a recurring basis, and she buys a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. she, uh, you know, if it's peanut butter, she knows we're going to be using it all year long, and she can get uh, stocked up, then we just stock it up. Yep. And we think that's wise during rising inflation. Certainly, if we were ever at risk of hyperinflation, you have to convert your cash into a commodity, into uh, something that's useful in your home rather quickly. And so that's a good practice and one I'd certainly uh, commend. Well, that's smart. Another thing you've said, which is very, very true all times uh, that we are alive, is spend time with the Lord, pray and read and treasure the word. I mean, how much more important is this at times where we're feeling stressed or feeling worried about the future? Well, I think that uh, being with the Lord is the great antidote to uh, discontentment, to anxiety, to our fear of the future. You know, the Lord is present at all times. He is the great I am. He is. He knows yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, He's not panicked by inflation. <laughs> he's not caught off guard by our... Uh, overspending at the federal level. He understands exactly where we are and what our needs are. And by spending time with him, we get centered. We get balanced. It's a practice that my wife and I have every single day that we're we're going to be in his word. We're going to be in prayer. We're going to be thinking about our life beyond this one. And so it really brings it back into focus that uh, we're not living just to get to the end of our life comfortably. We're living for what is to come beyond this life. And even if we were to lose everything that we have on earth, we can't lose the treasures that uh, God has stored on our behalf in heaven. 
So well said. Chuck Bentley from Crown Financial Ministries. Thank you for your advice, Chuck. We really appreciate your wisdom and and we really appreciate your being here. Thanks again. Keep up the great work, Janet. I'm a big fan. Oh, thank you so much. Really nice to talk to you, Chuck. You take care as well. We'll be back. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new healthcare program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Fellow Christians are suffering in Africa. This is Janet Mafford. Pastor Lumo ministers in Mozambique near the Indian Ocean. He's been beaten and jailed many times, not merely for what he believes, but for how he lives out his faith. You see, Lumo has been quietly and faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims, and many are coming to Christ. But extremists have assaulted Lumo, his family, and many in his church. But they're not asking for an end to the persecution they face. Instead, they're praying for God's word to endure and persevere as new followers of Christ. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send God's word to a new believer in Africa. $5 sends one Bible. $100 sends 20. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. Or there's an Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Oh boy, I got an update here. It's going to get ugly at that Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting next week. It's just getting ugly out there. All right, so the last time we talked about this, Russell Moore, who is now no longer the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission over at the SBC, released, oh, I'm sorry, I need to be careful how I say this, An email of his from 2020 ended up in the hands of Religion News Service. It's a complete mystery how it ended up in the hands of RNS, being a liberal religion site. But anyway, it was a very long email, and the gist of it was that he said the SBC is full of white nationalists and white supremacists with neo-Confederate ties. Uh, Some of them had that, and they were making his life terrible and putting him through psychological terror. And he made all of these allegations against nameless, faceless people. But uh, at least in one instance, his barbs were directed at someone you could completely figure out, and that was Mike Stone. Mike Stone is a pastor who is going to be throwing his hat in the ring to become the next president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he's a conservative, and he's been serving in the Southern Baptist Convention uh, and this whole issue of the ERL task force, uh, not to get into all of the weeds here, but basically we know the task force was formed uh, to kind of look into the ERLC. There were some 
concerns that people were stopping their giving to the cooperative program because of Russell Moore. So they were looking into some of that. And the liberals did not take that well at all. So that was the last move. Now we've got some new moves here, one of which is a statement put out by Pastor Mike Stone responding to Russell Moore. And I thought this would be worth sharing with you. He said Russell Moore's backdoor press release of June 2nd was filled with mischaracterizations of who Southern Baptists are. The release of the letter is clearly an attempt to influence the upcoming presidential election in the SBC. And I think Southern Baptists can see this letter for exactly what it is. Spot on. That's exactly what he's doing. You, you you mischaracterize your enemies and you go after them and you try to get as many shots and as you possibly Like, how tacky is that? I know he's got to be bitter. Russell Moore, that is. He's got to be bitter because he spent the last several years completely embattled. But what he never seems to really admit is that it's his own fault. It's his own fault. In Russell Moore's mind, he's the godliest man he knows. He's the most orthodox, uh, holding to the inerrancy of Scripture and holding to the pro-life ethos. And he never makes a mistake. He never did anything that was sleazy. He never did anything that was offensive. He never did anything that was insulting. It's all those evil conservatives who just don't understand how incredibly orthodox he is. And and now he's heading, of course, to Christianity Today, where they're going to embrace his beautiful orthodoxy. Oh, I can't wait. Mike Stone goes on. The accusation that a special 2020 ERLC task force was a unilateral action on my part, which is what Moore claimed in his letter, is blatantly and provably false. This attack is a deflection from the fact that Russell's leadership of the ERLC has been an ongoing source of division and distraction for Southern Baptists. Again, spot on. His sharp accusations against the SBC and its leadership were supposedly made in private correspondence in February 2020. It seems odd that the author of The Courage to Stand, which is Moore's book, would sit silently on such troubling accusations for 16 months and longer. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Because it's true. Yes, it's true. I guess he was just sitting on it until he saw an opening for a great political operative move. And that was what he did. His letter contains numerous misrepresentations of me and of the leadership of our beloved convention. More broadly, it illustrates that he holds a markedly different view of the SBC than the one held by the overwhelming majority of our 14 million members who have generously paid his salary. His view is apparently of an SBC leadership filled with white nationalists and white supremacists. His view is of an SBC leadership that contains neo-Confederate activities and raw racist sentiment that is not the SBC that I know. He sees an SBC where national leaders employ psychological terror against him to prevent him from speaking the truth about sexual abuse and racism. In my entire service at the executive committee and as a pastor, I've never heard a single Southern Baptist leader be angry over opposition to sexual abuse or racism. That is not the SBC I know. So he goes on and he says, I regret that Russell's service as president of one of our agencies has led him to such a disillusioned opinion of who we are. My prayer is that his new place of service outside the SBC will lead him to a better and more peaceful place personally and professionally. Yeah, he's nicer than I think I probably would have been. Some people are actually saying that. They're saying, Mike Stone, way to go. That was an awesome statement that you put out. And couldn't you have gone just a little bit further and said, you know, this is just a lie. And if he had a problem with us, why doesn't he name names? 
honestly, it, it, again, this is this is the just kind of the sleaziness of the whole thing. If you truly are under threat from real white nationalists of the KKK variety or white supremacists or neo-Confederates, you better name names. Why did you wait so many months to reveal it and then only reveal it? kind of in a cloak. You're not naming names. You're not talking about specifics. You're just kind of vaguely, you know what? Here's what happens when you do that sort of thing. You cause people like me to say, prove it. Who? Name names. Well, here's something about naming names. And this is where it takes another turn. This is from the liberals over at Religion News Service. And the headline is SBC sources, colon, okay, Paige Patterson made black girl comments cited in Russell Moore letter. It was Paige Patterson did it. Oh, we all we all knew that was probably coming. Uh, author and speaker Trillian Newbell was minding her own business this week, doing the good work the Lord planned for me, in her words, when she was drawn into another Southern Baptist controversy. The former member of the ERLC was mentioned in a controversial leaked letter published Wednesday by Religion News Service. It leaked over the weekend. It was written in February of 2020. And in it, Moore cited an unnamed SBC leader who is critical of his decision to hire Newbell. Moore recently left his ERLC post, blah, blah, blah. And he recalled this leader, Russell Moore recalled the leader as saying, I was really just concerned about that black girl, whether she's egalitarian. This goes back to the hiring of Trillian Newbell at the ERLC. After seeing news of the letter on social media, Newbell tweeted she was a grown woman and would not let those comments stand in her way. She said, I've experienced racism my entire life. Not going to stop me now. All right. Well, I, I know people can see this from a different angle, but just because there's and I'm not even saying it's happened. Let, let me just go ahead with this. Two Southern Baptist sources have confirmed with RNS, the SBC leader who made the comment. Uh, about Newbell. It was Paige Patterson, Philip Bethancourt, the pastor of Central Church in College Station, Texas, and former VP of the ERLC, told RNS. He's, now listen to this. Bethancourt said he and other staffers heard about the comments critical of Newbell and Dan Darling right after Moore spoke with Patterson. Heard about? So they weren't firsthand witnesses. They didn't get on the phone call or they weren't in the room. I'm not really sure how they could you know, positively identify him if they just heard about it. And of course, RNS went to Paige Patterson, who denied making the comments. He was on a phone interview with RNS and said he had never heard of Trillian Newbell. And he said, I don't know who the girl is. And he said Moore was obviously wrong. So Patterson is denying that it was him. And you can believe anything you want to about who's telling the truth or who might have taken something out of context or what have you. He says, I don't even know who she is. And it wasn't me. Moore doesn't know what he's talking about. So there you have it. But going back to this, I was really just concerned about the black girl. The context was you've hired this person. Is she complementarian or is she egalitarian? I'm not really sure that's racist to say black girl. I don't know if you had it reversed and you had uh, and maybe it never even happened. So it kind of doesn't even matter. But I was thinking about this. If there were some black gentlemen referencing a white girl and called her a white girl, is that racist to call or is it just kind of an identifier? Like, I don't know who she is, but she's the African-American girl. I, yeah, Who knows? I mean, these days everything is racist, but if it never even happened, what's the point? And what I don't understand is why are they still beating on Paige Patterson at this point? I mean, honestly, how much have you put him through? And now they're going after Paige Patterson. Oh, he took a list from the seminary. I mean, this was years ago now, several years ago now. And it's just 
I don't know. It, it's just like a bloody war at this point, and it's really awful to watch it. Regardless of what side you're on, it's awful to watch this. Because the Southern Baptist Convention is such an important denomination. So many people have been through the ringer. I'll tell you the positive thing, though. One of the things that is on the development side of things is Mike Stone is one of the people who is submitting a resolution to repudiate critical race theory and undo that horrible resolution nine from a few years back saying that, yeah, we can use critical race theory as an analytical tool. And it's not the only resolution that's apparently in the hopper. There are a number of resolutions that are coming after critical race theory. We'll see what the resolutions committee does with those resolutions if they even get passed. But this is good. I mean, that part of it is good. The one good thing about conflict is it can bring the good people to to the surface who will then start fighting error. And in that regard, I see that development as really positive and really good. And it's, but it's still a bloody war. It's just awful to see it. But honestly, with Russell Moore departing, that's a step in the right direction. He can have a peaceful time at Christianity Today with his beautiful orthodoxy. But I think the Southern Baptist Convention needs a new direction. Absolutely necessary. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for being with us. And we'll see you next time. God bless.